Welcome to Headliner the Podcast with your hosts, Stephen Heckberg and Philip Goudreau. This week is part one of their conversation with Derek Lothian of the Insurance Brokers Association of Saskatchewan around advocacy in the media. Headliner of the podcast coming back to you today, Phil Godreau, Stephen Heckbert, and we have a special guest, Derek Lothian, joining us from the Insurance Brokers Association out in beautiful Saskatchewan, uh, where I hear it's a dry cold, Derek. Uh, you're chatting with us about advocacy via the media. Well, thank you so much for having me. So I've known Derek a long time. So uh, Derek has agreed graciously to be a guest on the podcast. And uh, Derek, let's talk a little bit about advocacy via the media in large part because you've had two roles uh, in your career now where media have jumped on things that you've done. And in particular, you were you were in the media a fair amount last year inadvertently uh, during an election campaign because a, a former leader of a political party had insurance broker on his resume. I don't remember any of that, Stephen. I put that out of my memory, which is fine. So that that will shorten this this story very much. But you, yeah, I was going to say that was a great episode of Headliner. Everybody, thanks for joining us. So okay, so Derek, let's uh, let's cut to the chase, though. So you've done some advocacy through the media before. What has worked and what hasn't worked for you? Advocacy through the media is to me really about applying pressure through the shaping of public opinion. It it can be the the most effective. PR or GR tool that you have, but it can also be the most dangerous. So because of its volatility, you really only use it in two types of situations. One, as a last resort, because everything else has failed, or two, to build acceptance for an outcome you've already successfully negotiated. So for example, uh, helping to reduce the political risk for a decision made by by government, or of course, from a sales standpoint, to build product acceptance. In all these cases, though, over the past 10 or 15 years of, of my career, I've come to, to, I think, truly appreciate that advocacy through the media is a double-edged sword. And it's a, a tool that needs to be used very deliberately, very delicately, and, and very sparingly. There are uh, as I mentioned uh, to you in our, our precursor, Stephen, there are sort of three overarching rules that I've always applied to reduce our own exposure uh, to risk when when going down this path. So the, the first rule is know what the media needs to get out of it and give it to them. The truth is that, that journalists are some of the most underpaid, underappreciated, and overworked professionals on the planet. And that, that's doubly true, by the way, when it comes to Ottawa. Their stresses are are high. Uh, their work-life balances often suck. And nine times, you know, nine times out of 10, the person doing the pitching is making more money than the journalist who's, who's actually being pitched. So it's important to ask yourself and be able to answer, how does this help them? You know, are you offering an exclusive or unique angle? Are you giving them advanced information or access? Are you providing a, a narrative that people are actually going to be compelled uh, to read? You know, in, a, in an age where there are so many different mediums and this podcast, I, I think is a pretty good example of it. The competition for audience, the competition for readership, it's a friggin' blood sport. I mean, there are more stories than there are journalists, and more often than not, journalists don't even have the time to, to chase the good one. So it's not it's not fair to 
expect them to dedicate, you know, their their precious work hours in their day away from their family pursuing pursuing garbage. You know, make sure your story or at very least your commentary is interesting. And and not just interesting to you, but actually interesting. Provide timely access to the best expert you have. Don't give them some you know, some some middle of the road, uh, you know, fill in on staff and, and know how the content relates to the readership of the journalists that you're pursuing. It sounds like a simple principle, but I mean, if you're using the same approach to, to pitch the Wall Street Journal as you are the Toronto Sun, I mean, by and large, you've already lost. So know in your head the story and the headline they'll have to write to get this through their editors before you ask them to, to write it. Uh, the, the second rule, meanwhile, uh, it, it applies virtually to any business, but I, you know, ironically, and, and I'm sure you know, y'all see this in, in your lives, it's, it's, where, it's where mistakes to me are most commonly made. And that rule is, is very simple and you're, you're gonna have to excuse the, you know, the forthrightness uh, of it, but it's, it's simply don't be an asshole. I, mean, I can't tell you the number of times I've seen PR folks, uh, particularly those that are young or, or fresh out of college, be flippant or, or downright rude to journalists. And I'm not sure where we garnered the, the sense of entitlement or superiority in our, in our, in our industry, but I'm telling you that, that stereotype that many journalists have uh, and that have cultivated for us, it's, it's not entirely unearned by the PR sector. And I don't care what sector you're in, though. There are, are two sort of fundamental principles to successful relationships in any business. Number one, people don't like to work with jerks, so don't be one. And, and the second is that people also don't like to feel used. You know, if this is your first time reaching out to a journalist, don't take it personally if they don't buy your pitch or even answer your call. I mean, truth be told, if, if you're needing to pitch your story in the first place, if the media isn't coming to you, you're already working from a place of a, of a disadvantage. I know it's, it's, it's hard to believe, Stephen, that you have, having been one yourself, and uh, I've, I've worked as a small-town newspaper reporter in southern Saskatchewan, but journalists are people too with you know, lives and, and problems outside of work. So to the extent that you can, get to know them, understand what makes them tick. This isn't about weaseling your way in to take advantage of someone. This is about simply being human. You know, be respectful, be empathetic, and, and remember that these are relationships that you're gonna wanna carry throughout your career. You know, I, I, I don't, think that I hold grudges personally, but I definitely haven't forgotten people who have been shitty to me in my career. And it's, it's not that I'm going to actively subvert them, but I'm definitely not going to go out of my way to help them from a professional standpoint. That's just relationship 101. And if you're in public relations, you better darn well become or get pretty good at faking being an expert in relating to the public. Novel concept, but it's, it's one that that seems to elude a lot of people in our, our industry. And the last uh, the last point, and last but not least, as they say, is less of a rule and more of a reminder. So when media is part of your advocacy strategy, respect the power you're, you, you may be able to obtain, but also understand the power you may be giving up. So what do I mean by that? 
I've always said in my career that the most effective government relations or advocacy campaigns are those that you've never heard about. You know, the ability to do quiet advocacy well means that you have a, a high degree of influence that you're viewed as a, a trusted advisor, which is really the richest currency that you can have as a PR or GR professional. Now, there are some obvious challenges to, to that approach. If you work for an association, for instance, uh, your members often want you to be seen advocating. They want you to be boisterous because that is how they're justifying their investment in you. But the truth is that it can actually be quite counterproductive to what you're trying to accomplish. So you really have to be deliberate with how you manage those relationships to protect the capital that you've built as an influencer. I've, I've spent a large part of, of my career in the association world, both at a, uh, a national as well as at a provincial level. And I'm constantly reminding my members that if we're loud, we've lost. 90% of government relations, in my opinion, is not advocating a new position or for a new program. It's preventing policymakers from doing something stupid. By the, by the way, that's, that's not a commentary in government either. I mean, we sometimes forget just how big and complex of an apparatus government is. It's not fair to expect them to be experts in your field. And they're going to make mistakes. You know, a big part of your job is to help them make as few mistakes as possible with the least amount of negative impact possible. Yes, that's harder to quantify, but it's it's also, I think, intrinsic to your uh, value proposition as a professional. But there are times when you need to leverage public sentiment. You know, just know that when you when you project your issue into the public realm through the media you have given up a semblance of control. You know, there are times, of course, when you, you can't help but you're asked to provide a comment on an issue that's already in the news, for example. Every time you're in that sphere, however, every time you inject new information into the conversation or offer up context, you're adding a little bit more fuel to the engine. The, the, the momentum of that automobile it, it can advance your cause, it can reverse your progress, or it can simply rev the motor in neutral. It's kind of like, do you all know what I'm talking about? The, the, those cartoons when you have, you know, four or five cats trying to work a car, you have you know, one on the steering wheel, one's working the gas, another's working the brakes, and a couple others are, are you know, working the signal lights and the controls. You have to be very, very coordinated, and you have to appreciate that you don't know what's up on the road ahead that may jump out in front of you. You can, be, you can be confident, but you simply don't know for a fact how the public is going to react to something or respond to something that you put into the media. And you also don't know what else might come out of or what other issues may arise from the story that's out there. So those are, are by and large, my, my three rules and, and they've treated me, me pretty well. You know, as, as uh, Phil mentioned in, in the intro, I'm a pretty simple guy from, from rural Saskatchewan, and I don't have uh, many marketable skills to speak of. But I'll, I'll tell you that there are inherent dangers uh, to ignoring these rules or to simply only adopting one or two of the three. Because of these rules, because of the relationships I've managed to build following them, 
I mean, I've personally had journalists hold negative stories for a few hours until we could get our ducks in a row. I've been able to call in favors to get more profile on a story that I normally wouldn't have been able to, but I've also done my best to return those favors by helping wherever I can. So, I mean, from a 30,000 foot perspective, the long and the short of it is this. Advocacy in the media can be both a highly effective and a highly detrimental tool. But as with any tool, knowing how to use it properly and knowing the right situations to use it is the difference between someone who's really good at it and someone who isn't. Uh, so that's that's the little bit that I know about this year. So my, I have a question, uh, Derek, just on that, largely because this is one of the places where I often think you have to be careful about how many times you go to that well as well. Like if you're going to use advocacy in the media as a tactic, you shouldn't expect the same results if you repeat the tactic. And I often see people assuming that, well, if I'm not happy, I'm just going to go to the media and the media will respond the same way next time. And invariably, when that blows up, it's because people have failed to understand that the ground shifted underneath your feet a little bit. You know, like I, I use dairy farmers sometimes as an example of this, right? That, uh, you know, the, the supply chain, supply chain, supply chain management, supply chain management, at some point in time, you know, dairy farmers are going to go to the public and the public is going to be like, actually, we don't, we've stopped caring about supporting dairy farmers in the same way because I'm not sure, you know, milk consumption's gone down. Canadian butter at this moment, I don't know if you've been following the controversy, but Canadian butter no longer melts at room temperature. And apparently this is a big deal. How do you help people avoid going to the, the, to the well with the same tactic simply because it worked last time? Well, I guess the first sort of rule of thumb to that is, is, is going back to the, the first rule that I mentioned in my preamble, it's, it's about knowing whether or not your story is going to resonate or have some emotional appeal to the public and, and your issue, right? I mean, so I, I, I work in insurance, right? It's one of the most boring, the most highly regulated industries in Canada. And I, I say that facetiously. It's not boring. Sorry? It's not boring. It, no, that's what I was going to say. It's an actually, it's an incredibly interesting industry, but it's, it's also very nuanced and it's, it's, um, it's highly digital. It's, it's highly, you know, there's a lot of innovation and, and invention that goes on in the industry. So when I say boring, I say that from the point of, of the public perception that you're working against, right? So for an industry like ours to go to the, to the media, to advocate a position, you have to be doing it knowing that you're working against that perception. So you're not only fighting the, the issue itself, but you're really talking about fighting the sentiment or the emotion that is attached to not only your issue, but who you are as an entity. So I think making sure that you understand the challenge that you're going to have going into that sphere. Um, and, and, you know, dairy farmers are, are a good example. But it really works for any industry or any situation where there is not a direct day-to-day -day connection to the consumer. If you're having to, if you're having to take two minutes to explain the issue before you can get to what you want done about it, it's not the right tactic or the right strategy for you. And you have to know that going into it. So. You know, you, you use the word strategic. 
it's absolutely part of a strategic approach to issue management. It is not the strategy itself. And often people confuse the two, right? To your point, it, it, we're not getting what we want for, from government. So let's immediately go to the, go to the media. Okay. Well, is there a reason why government isn't responding the way you want? Have, have, are they informed? Do they have the right information? Do you have the right information? Right? I mean, I can't tell you how many times as a GR professional, I've seen organizations walk into meetings with government or, or policymakers. They have their, you know, they have their attention for the first couple minutes. And then, you know, someone around the table, a senior bureaucrat or a you know, deputy minister, whatever, they will ask a question that that organization should have an answer to, and they can't answer it. They don't have the data. They don't have the background. So before you get to that, you know, that, that one arrow in your quiver, and to your point, you can pull it out once, maybe twice, but do so after you've exhausted sort of all other avenues, or it's being used in a very deliberate, a very targeted, and a very specific way. Maybe I'll... Um bring up a point, Stephen, that you and I have discussed uh, in context of one of my clients previously, where uh, they were looking for a bit of GR help uh, around some fund, uh, federal uh, funds, and they were evaluating between a couple of firms. And your advice to me at that time, Stephen, was um, one of the two firms liked to spend a lot of time on TV panels and stuff, and this was not time spent uh, you know, on Parliament Hill or at Queen's Park or at the legislature, basically meeting with ministers and actually getting airtime. So uh, I'm, I, I see a nice alignment with uh, what you're saying there, Derek, in terms of media is great, uh, but why would you trade that for time with ministers if you can get that? Well, it's really fascinating. So I think the Hill Times just released their uh, list of the top 100 lobbyists in Ottawa. So if you go through that list and you were to ask yourself, not how many times you've seen them on TV or how many times you've seen them in the media, but how many times have you seen them on TV or in the media advocating a very specific issue? I would contend it's, it's very, very rare. The only reason that they're making those media apparent appearances is to build their own personal influence, their own personal brand. They're not out there hammering the pavement on, on an issue on behalf of their clients. And that's because they're really, really good at addressing those issues behind the scenes, right? If, if, if you're beating the drum on power play on a Sunday afternoon or, or uh, you know, whenever it may be, um, you've, you've lost, right? You've lost the the ear of government already and that is the tactic that you're trying to employ to get that issue back on the rails but understand again you're working from a place of disadvantage the most effective government relations folks not only in ottawa but on a provincial basis you hear from virtually never uh, on the issues that they're working on and that's just what i found being in ottawa for you know, six, seven, eight years, as well as my time here around the legislature in Regina. And I think it's a pretty common position held, whether you're at Queen's Park or, or you're at the ledge in Victoria. With that, I think uh, there is one other question I want to talk about, but I'm also mindful that I, I don't want us to uh, get into a 30-minute episode. So in part two, 
Uh, Derek, I'm going to ask you about what happens if you're the target of a media advocacy campaign, and is there anything you have learned in your experience that can help mitigate that if someone else is, is either particularly adept or is just using the media even in a non-adept way uh, to try to talk about an issue that you have an opinion about, but you know that it's too nuanced to talk about in media. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Headliner, the podcast. If you want to know more about how you can improve your organization's communication strategies, visit headlinerthebook.com. See you next week.